This week on Overtime, we talk about all things tying up, what it means to live in true community. This is one you don't want to miss. Make sure you like, subscribe. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And um, we got a lot to dive into today. My goodness, what an incredible week. It's exciting to be getting back into the fall season and routine. I feel like I'm saying that over and over again. But um, just to be back in a little bit of a rhythm. It felt like a lot of people were back in town. Yeah, Some it's a good people word. were back in school. And, um, and so why not kick off the fall by talking about boating? <laughs> it's not lost on me. Trust me. <laughs> now, I do have to ask a question before we get into the message. You did use an, like an overarching metaphor of being anchored up and boating. And, yeah. um, you were wearing a shirt yesterday that had fish on it. Intentional or not? Absolutely not intentional. I know there's a couple of people who asked that question. Um, the problem is I don't put that much thought into it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I just happened to pull the shirt that I knew I would be comfortable in, and it had koi fish in it, so it seemed to res- to, to work. It's like subconscious. Yeah, I did have people guess. They thought it was shrimps. It did look kind of um, like shrimp. <laughs> yeah, shrimp, right? There's no, there's no, it's not shrimps or shrimpesses or shrimpies. Prawns. Um, prawns. Uh, no, it was <laughs> it was koi fish, but yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I just I had to ask because it did seem so fitting. <laughs> I even leaned over to Jess in the middle of the message. I was like, did he do that on purpose? What was um, her response? She goes, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she knows me. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so we talked about anchoring together. Yeah. And um, this kind of goes back to the very beginning of the year. We kicked off 2023, which, man, that feels like a long time ago, with this word anchored. And before we get into anchoring together, I thought it would be good to do just a little bit of a review. You kind of yeah. did it quickly on Sunday. But, um, but what it means to be anchored. Yeah, so um, again, if you didn't get a chance to be with us for that series, it's all online. It's all on YouTube. You can check it out. Uh, and the series is appropriately called Anchored. And it was kind of our, it's been our, our word of the year. Um, and really, we were, um, we studied, well, at least I did a lot of deep dive study on the idea of anchoring and how actually anchoring works. Mm-hmm. And really to simplify it, the, the objective of an anchor is to bite into something that's going to hold the weight of the ship. Um, so much of anchoring has to do with weight and the, distribu- the distribu- distribution of weight on a chain. And, and the actual anchor itself, though, is really formed in a way that it's, it's biting into the sea floor in hopes to find a spot that's strong enough to maintain the weight of the ship. So when the seas move and the current moves, because currents never stop moving, and the waves start rushing and crashing, the boat is found in the same spot. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really does set the direction of the boat. Um, we talk quite a bit about, even, even biblically, the idea, the invitation is that we would anchor our lives, that we would center our lives on the person of Jesus, that through Jesus we can center our lives on the creator of the universe, and he's the one that doesn't change. He's the one that doesn't, that, that's strong enough to, to hold the weight of the, the load that we carry. Yeah, I kind of get this picture. When you talk about an anchor biting, I had never heard that before, I guess a year now. Can you believe you've been studying anchors for a year now? It's kind of crazy. Um, but this idea of almost like a rock or something, that it's not just the weight of the anchor on the ocean floor that's keeping that boat or ship, I don't know the difference, but apparently there is one, where it needs to be. It's 
it's finding something like a rock that it hooks into, right? Yeah. That's like, that's what biting well, is. Well, and sometimes it's a rock. Other times it's just the way that the ocean floor kind of is navigated. And yes, mm-hmm. what it'll end up doing is, uh, Siri's trying to talk to me right now for some reason. <laughs> uh, what it'll end up doing is, is biting into that floor um, and trying, again, create enough static or, or tension in which to keep the boat from moving. The other illustration that this lends to and metaphor that we introduced was the idea of anchoring when it comes to climbing mm-hmm. and how climbers stick anchors into rocks in order to support their weight. And it's the same premise there that often they're, they're trying to find a spot by which the rock is steady enough to hold them. And, um, you know, it, no one ever questions whether or not the mountain can hold the weight of the climber. That's a, right. that's a silly question. It's whether or not the climber has found the suitable place to, to, to place his anchor in order to sustain the weight of the climber and to really tie into all of the strength of the mountain. Yeah. I just, I had forgotten that. I'm glad you brought up the climbing anchors because that is really helpful to think about. And even though when we're talking about anchoring together, this illustration is all boats. Boating, yeah. But, um, but it is helpful just to know like what you're anchored into that, that matters before we talk about who you're anchoring with. Yeah, and even when you, oddly enough, even when you uh, climb in groups, often what will happen is everyone on that line, there's four or five people on a line climbing a rock, they'll actually lay in separate anchors to add more stability to the whole line. It's pretty interesting. It is interesting. I'm remembering that way back when we were like, hey, in the fall, we should take the staff on a climbing trip, and uh, maybe we should reconsider. Maybe. I'm just going to say that on camera so that... um, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like our team... (laughs) I can't imagine um, Pastor Emma climbing right now. Um, We we might have to wait. We might have to wait uh, a little bit. Yeah, so... Anchoring together is also called rafting up, right? That's the term. I keep saying anchor up, um, but it's rafting up. And this is what happens when boats come together and the largest boat, right, will actually drop anchor, find that bite, get in the ocean ground. Listen, I'm not a sailor. I don't even know. I'm trying so hard. (laughs) Um, And then other boats will come and tie up to... That one boat. Are they dropping anchor also? They are. They are. And often they're trying to anchor in and around the same spot um, in order, again, to create that tension. And why do they do this instead of just being kind of nearby each other? Well, uh, several reasons. First of all, socially, um, when you're rafting up with somebody, it gives you easy access to their deck. Um, Mm -hmm. And and basically, multiple decks now become one large deck. And, um, you know, you can see examples of this in a social setting where people will be grilling on one boat. You can see who has the best snacks on their boat. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) This part I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The other reason for it is not just socially. Sometimes commerce is kind of navigated this way. Boats will uh, come into a harbor, and if they don't want to actually uh, dock, there's there's services that will actually meet the boats out in the middle of you know the harbor and exchange goods, um, whether it's ice or food or even fuel in some places where the harbor is a little tough for some boats to kind of make their way in. Other boats will come out, tie off, and they'll have those exchanges uh, raft up. And then uh, another reason for it is in severe seasons of weather, like uh, you know bad bad weather on the open sea smaller boats would often look for other boats to raft up with in order to create stability to what they're anchored to and ultimately it all of these ways they actually one of the things that anchoring up or sorry raft now you got me saying it rafting up does is it really does help set the direction of the boat to the anchor Mm -hmm. um, so it prevents drifting 
and um, and that's that's a real concern in some uh, you know nautical um, environments is drifting can be a real problem and when there's other boats you can really kind of see who's drifting and who's not mm -hmm. and it gives them a better indicator of where they are in relationship to the anchor yeah so let's kind of take the metaphor home i guess i i don't know i'm having trouble with words today but it's fine we're all good what does this mean when we're talking about people and our faith um what does it mean to raft up or tie up with other people yeah so we, we see kind of the importance of community all throughout scripture. And I, I think the metaphor is fairly self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. Like when you walked in on Sunday and you hear somebody say, hey, so we're going to talk about rafting up instantly. People are like, oh, he's talking about connectivity mm -hmm. and what it means to be connected. Um, you know, in Galatians, there's always been this passage about if a fellow believer begins to be overcome by sin, um, and it's really easy to see that as the picture of the drifting, um, that sin yeah. has over, overcome them and they find themselves distant, that it requires the gentleness and humility of those around them to bring that person back. So for me, it really did speak to the heart of rafting, like this idea that when we are intimately tied and connected to those around us, when we have a connection or a community, mm -hmm. we can see the drifting. Um, in 2020, in the height of this pandemic, as people were finding themselves isolated, we saw a lot of drifting happen within the context of the church world, right? Like a lot of people who were in church every Sunday and engaged in relationship and community, attending groups, loving the Lord, you know, vibrant faith walks, all of a sudden found themselves by 2021 not donning the doors of a church for years. And in, in that isolation, we found a lot of people drifted to the point that really, you know, we got all kind of fancy words for it. But I, I would argue that the pandemic really like added fuel to the fire of what we would call deconstruction mm -hmm. in some people. And Fast forward to 2023, there's a lot of people that have drifted far from the anchor, right? Mm -hmm. um, because of the lack of community. And again, in Galatians, there's this picture of when they have drifted to that point, it becomes a responsibility of fellow believers to, through gentleness and humility, remind them of the why and the how of our right. anchorage, right? Um, so that is how we, he goes on in, in Galatians to use the term burden. That is how we share one another burden is when we tie off, when we, when we raft up together, when we connect. And, and I really feel like that was the message the Lord had laid on our heart collectively as a team for where we are as mm -hmm. a church. We have so many new people, so many new things happening, so much growth. It's been incredible. But now it's time to, to, to raft up. Um, so that in the seasons of drifting, and I, let me just pause for a moment and say, I would love to think that there's this place in the faith of maturation that we get to that drifting is not a concern. I just haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen pastors who've been pastors of large congregations for decades find themselves drifting from the anchor. And you can argue, oh, it's a lack of discipline. You can argue, oh, they're just bad people. But honestly, for so many of them comes down to the fact that they've been isolated for the last 10 decades at the highest level of leadership. Nobody understands, have no friends. They can't even see their own drifting. And it's kind of scary. So really, that is the, 
the remedy that Paul writes to the Galatian church. If you want to make sure that you're not drifting from the anchor, find yourself good people to connect with. Yeah, I am. So I have like a million questions. Just what you shared sent me in a million different directions. So I'm trying to decide which way to go. But, um, But I think what I want to hit first is there are those people who might think like, no, I don't really need other people. And you just kind of address that. But what about people who feel like, between their spouse and then their family, like, okay, well, I've got that. The people that I'm tied up to are my actual nuclear family in the house with me, and I don't really need anything outside of that. You know, that's great. It's just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I come from a really strong family. I love my family to death. Um, one of the powers of connectivity is diversity. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of family, there's not that diverse thought. I mean, we'll, we have our little nuances that are a little different. We raise our kids maybe a little bit different, and we maybe navigate our marriages a little bit different. But really, in, in that family setting, there's a lack of that diverse thinking. Now, here's let's go all the way down mm-hmm. that road, right? So Ecclesiastics, I can never say Ecclesiastes. that right. Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes paints this picture of unity that I think we've gotten wrong. Mm-hmm. It says uh, two are better than one. So that's the no-brainer. Of course, you know that when you fall, if there's another person there, they're going to help you out. Amen. If you're cold, there's another person there, they're going to keep you warm. Amen. Um, when you're being attacked, it's really good to have another person. So Amen. You be back to back and no one can surprise yeah, you. Yeah, no one can surprise you. Jumping out the bush. Supplies. Um, <laughs> that's, I'm but, sure, what Solomon was talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then it mentions that there's a power it's better if there's three and it doesn't say just three it says three that are corded a braid of three cords and you know i know you're about to get into teaching it but i think it's interesting i've heard this passage a lot of times but i've heard it at a lot of weddings and it's always been weird taught that the third (laughs) cord is god so it's two people and god and then this was like this aha moment where i was like there's nowhere that it says interpretation it's an absolute wrong interpretation because there's an obsession there's an obsession with us to think that all we need is God. And hear me, I want to make sure I'm really clear here. The anchor of our faith is our relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But then if the anchoring of our faith is our relationship with Jesus, and we read the words of Jesus, and we read the words of those who Jesus inspired and the Holy Spirit inspired, often what we read is, yes, you need Jesus. He is the only, the truth, the way, the anchor. And you need people to remind you where you are yeah. to, to avoid that drifting. So in that, that, that picture of the braid, and, and this is what I've always felt fascinating, is that the, the power of the braid is actually in the tension that the braid creates. Mm-hmm. If you were to, to tie three strings up, and you're laughing because we did this as an illustration. <laughs> if you came to the 9 service. o'clock service, you saw this illustration. It, it was horrible. <laughs> it was a train wreck, preaching nightmare. And we don't have it on video, so you can't see it, but just trust me. But it's in my head. I'll yeah. tell you about it. Just find me. <laughs> um, but if you take three cords and braid them together, the strength of when that weight is added to the end of that cord actually happens in the tension mm-hmm. of where those 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 chords interact where they're when they're engaging where there's where there's that overlap and in order to have that you need two things you need tension and vulnerability mm-hmm. um, you need people who think different than you um, and you need people from different cultures we are stronger when people who are coming from different cultures um, when you don't understand the people's culture and you're learning it and you and you're you're vulnerable enough to put yourself in the place of learning we grow we're better yeah. for it. Um, 
you know, I, I said this Sunday, and I know that this is a hot button topic right now, but I believe this. I believe the church should be a place where people from different political affiliations can lay their affiliations down and still choose to do life and love one another. Well, I think what it does is it makes what you're anchored to the actual ultimate thing. Absolutely. So, like, um, without getting into too many details, I was thinking about this this morning. Like, even on our pastoral team, we don't all vote the same way. No. And there have been times during election years where there's been some tension alongside that. But what it's done for me is help me not get in this like tunnel vision mentality of the way that I think is the only way to think, but to say, oh, there are people that I know they're pursuing God. I know they're hearing from God. I know they love God. And they're landing differently on this. So maybe there's something I can learn from them. Like even if we end up walking away and voting for different people. Um, but if I hadn't experienced that, I'd be like, no, no, the way I think is is the right way, and I need to find other people who think that way too. Yeah, and when you find yourself in places where everybody thinks the same, looks the same, kind of acts the same, you'll find yourself in seasons where a lack of growth. Um, it's that tension that creates growth in us. It's that mm -hmm. tension that keeps us focused, to your point, on the main right. thing. Um, and, and ultimately, what I've found is in, in groups where everybody is just on the same train of thought, the, the same process, like thinking the same, feeling the same, living the same, it's really easy to make those commonalities idolatry, mm -hmm. right? So now the thing that we all have in common, anybody who thinks differently, that we're gonna elevate that thing to a place where now we're anchored to that thing. And uh, as much as I love being an American and as much as I love being a patriot, at the end of the day, those things, those things are not what I'm anchored right. to. You know, your political position. And it's not just politics, because today everything's an issue. Man, whether you like Star Wars or Star Trek, whether you... Coke or Pepsi? Coke or Pepsi. Pepsi? Come on, people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Look at this. Eek. Tension. Tension. Right We're so much stronger for it, too. <laughs> and you get to learn why you're wrong, which is so, so helpful. Yep, that's why I'm here. <laughs> you know, Universal or Disney. Like... Like those things that it seems like everything sets to mm -hmm. separate us. But again, it's in those tensions that we grow stronger. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess one of the things that you brought up that's backtracking a little bit, but I want to talk about it because I could just sense that this was something that God had kind of laid heavy on your heart. You saw this video of a bunch of boats, ships, I, I still don't know the difference, that had been um, rafted up, mm -hmm. and then a riptide came through, yeah. and it turns out that their anchor was not, it hadn't bit, it yep. hadn't um, grabbed hold of anything, and so all of them ended up being swept away in the tide. Um, how, do, how do we kind of test, if we're in a strong community, how do we kind of test where that anchor is to make question. sure that when that riptide comes, when that diagnosis comes, or natural disaster, just so many things out of our control come, how do we know that that community is anchored in to Jesus? Well, I mean, we have a really, we have a really good test case right now. Again, I, I hate bringing it up because it seems like everybody's trying to avoid it, but like, we just went through a national, a worldwide riptide, like COVID mm -hmm. just ransacked culturally, economically, emotionally, mentally, I, we are dealing with a mental health crisis in our country right now. 
so much of that stemming from this ugly season mm-hmm. where things just seem to tear through. And how many people do you know have drifted from their faith? Like this is a really good test case to say, what is it? How do we prevent this from happening? I don't want the, the next thing to shred my faith because it wasn't secure on the right thing. So I, I, I personally think this is where, this is why the anchoring to who Jesus is happens first. Yeah. Um, and has to become the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably really bad English, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, what I shared with our group leaders this weekend. So we had a, a celebration for our small group leaders as we launched groups. And we talked about like community can't be what you're anchored to, even though as you're anchored to Jesus you hope that community develops strong community within your group and solid teaching can't even be like what you're anchored to. You just hope that as you're anchored to Jesus and teaching the word to the best of your ability, like people really are learning and growing. And, um, and I think it's sometimes easy for us to get confused in these things that are, they're almost Jesus. They're things that are marks of followers of Jesus can actually become what we try to anchor to that's not actually Jesus. Absolutely. I, I, I believe there's non-negotiables of the faith is what I, I call them. Like Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's somebody or something that gets me to the place that their engagement or that thing's engagement in my life is starting to kind of try to work at that, that truth, there's a problem. Because mm-hmm. at the core of my faith, Jesus is Lord. He is who he says he is. That's why it's so dangerous when we start taking things that are non-negotiables, like um, the physical uh, resurrection of Jesus. This is a core truth to our faith. Mm -hmm. And again, in the last 10 years, there seems to be this uptake of, well, did Jesus, like, was he really physically resurrected? And is that critical to the gospel? Yes, it is absolutely critical to the gospel. So when these core tenets are tested and we don't have answers for them, that's where a lot of that comes into play. Um, so you have to study to show yourself approved. There needs to be a deeper um, depth of, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say just biblical knowledge because so much of the depth that you need is a, process, a product of not just biblical knowledge, but um, Holy Spirit enlightenment. Right, like yeah. the spirit enlightening and, and engaging, as you engage scripture, as the spirit enlightens that scripture to you, that's what creates those mm-hmm. concrete, solidified thoughts in you. And yes, there is solidified truth. You know that Jesus is the only way. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute you start trying to peck at that truth, I'm just going to tell you, there's a good chance that you're going to de-anchor, like for yeah. lack of a better yeah. term. Um, so you just got to make sure that you know that you know that you know. And once you do, like then. Then at that point, um, that's what creates that that solidification in the faith. But again, I'll bring you back to Paul's writings. You still have to be mindful that there are seasons where your flesh is strong Mm -hmm. and it will slowly but surely draw you away from some of those truths. So I think for a lot of people, some of that that drifting away has little to do with intellectual understanding and a lot to do with struggles with the flesh. Yeah. so now it's, I'm participating in this sin, and he says sin that overcomes, so that's not my words, that's his. I'm starting to engage in the sin or being tempted by the sin. Now I'm going to try to intellectually justify 
or explain away some of the core beliefs that I've had for generations that the church has shared for 2,000 years. But I'm going to pick away at that because now my appetite is dictating my faith, and that's a scary place. Yeah. I feel like no matter what we talk about, we sometimes, we just somehow end up back at um, kingdom over culture, kingdom over everything. Like, um, but it is such an important thing. There's one other group of people within the illustration that I kind of want to talk about for a minute. And that's the people who are kind of on the outskirts of it. Like, um, you talked about this Guinness book of world records gathering that happens all the time where thousands of boats come together and they tie up together. But then there are like some that are just kind of on the outskirts. They haven't actually taken that risk of becoming fully part of it, but they're still like, they're there. They want to see it. They want to be kind of like part of the emotion, but haven't tied up. And a lot of times for good reason, like there's some fear involved. There's, there's risk involved. Maybe in the past they've had a boat damaged or something in that. And I I think there are a lot of people who look at the church, look at community within the church and, and this idea of becoming braided together with other people and they want to be around it but it's a little bit scary to step into that what would you say to someone who's wrestling with that right now yeah it's um it's the risk of loving mm-hmm. right so man you guys are probably sick of me hearing saying this but it's a passage that i've struggled with for for years now that jesus says blessed are those who mourn um the idea of mourning is that you loved and you risked loving and you lost, mm-hmm. you know, um, and your heart's broken and you got to navigate the healing of that moment. But then you got to get back up on the horse and try loving again, which is is not easy. It's challenging. Um, so there is that person that, you know, we we like to put all kind of fancy phrases on it. So, you know, choice word right now or phrase now is probably like church hurt mm-hmm. um but the truth is the church is made of people so it's just people hurt right um and it's 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 hard it's hard it's it's like everything else like you you got to be able to navigate that season of hurt to see the benefit of what community brings and um eventually you'll recognize that the isolation and the, the things that isolation bring are scary and they're hurtful. Um, you feel alone. There's no barometer of where you are. There's directionless. Um, th- those things, they, they get scary in the faith. Mm-hmm. So I think ultimately, um, you know, my challenge to those who are maybe navigated through really tough times and uh, seasons and you find yourself deeply wounded from you know, past relationships, you know, you stepped into a small group and uh, these people for all intents and purposes were, you know, fell in love and you guys worked hard together and and built things. And then someone said something, the group blew up and now you find yourself alone or, you know, the pastor said something at the church you attended or did something at the church you attended and you find yourself hurt. Um, The only real remedy is healing and reconnection. Mm -hmm. And often I'm going to tell you, the reason you're not healing is because you're not reconnected because often healing comes through relationship. I mean, that's not me. That's the Bible. You know, James really, really quick to say that, that, that healing and, and often healing from some of the deep seated wounds we have come from confession one to another and walking through the work that's necessary to bring that healing. So if 
isolation is a product of what hurt you. It's community that's going to bring some of that healing. And one of the ploys of the enemy is to get you out there drifting alone. I often, I will also say that as I was writing this, um, I, I, I think often of so many of the lead pastors that I know mm -hmm. that struggle in isolation. And they could have churches that have this community concept down, but they're not engaged. They don't have chords of three. It's, it's, and, and, and honestly, people say it all the time, like leadership in a church structure is one of the loneliest places to be. Yeah. And I'm just going to tell you, A, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be lonely. You just have to commit to the work of relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not anyone else's responsibility to commit to the work of relationship. Like, oh, well, just my, my, my district director is not a relational guy or my, my regional guys, all the pastors in this area are not really friendly. That's on you. Like you have to do the work of finding those people that you can, that you can court up with. And, you know, it's not easy work. Sometimes it's, it's, um, you know, a shoot and a miss, but you, you got to take the shot anyway. It's um, almost like dating weirdly, like not the same, but that same, like, you're going to have some really awkward, not connections and you want to keep trying because um, you're going to find people that you click with that absolutely. you can do life with. Yeah. And I mean, in the same breath, like in that picture, one of the things that scares me is all these boats rafted up and the pastor drifting off somewhere else. Like he led all these people to this place and they've all figured out community except him and his family. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's an ugly place to live. And, and again, if, if you're in that place, I would tell you, like everything else, you work to be a good communicator. You work to be a good leader. You're working to build great systems. Work to build strong relationships and stop using your position and your busyness as an excuse not to do it. You will be a better pastor when you're rafted up. You're going to be a better husband when you're rafted up. You're going to be a better father when you're rafted up. So just like everything or else, commit to the work. Yes, absolutely. Just that out there. No, thank you. Thank you for reminding <laughs> me once again. Just no, it's what I get it. it. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to take a minute and... If you're part of Center City and this is something that has been um, just kind of, you can just tell the Holy Spirit is pulling you to take that risk. It's the perfect time because we're launching our small groups within the next week and a half. And um, so you can go to centercity.church slash groups to see the groups that we have to sign up and get connected. But even if you don't go to Center City, if you're um, in Charlotte or if you're somewhere else in the world, this time of year... A lot of churches are doing a similar thing. They're kind of getting that fall routine going, yep. and there are groups or there are Sunday school classes, and um, it might feel uncomfortable, but take that first step because it's worth it to find your people, to find just, we say it all the time, like, do what you love with the people that you love, and it can be that simple. It doesn't mean that every time you get together with them, you've got to have this deep theological conversation or um, talk about what you're you're learning in the Bible, even though that's great, and I hope it happens sometimes, but can also be playing basketball together or just doing what you love with people and having that that sense of community and connection. So take the risk. It's worth it. Yeah, it's really the story in the heart of our church over the last several years, um, specifically even through COVID. I've been talking about COVID a bunch today. I know. I know it's weird. Um, well, but, I think it's good. Sometimes yeah. I think we try to act like it didn't happen. And the reality is we're all still trying to figure out how to rebuild life afterwards. So keep going. And if you're doing good introspection, you're going to find that even in that season, as horrible as, horrible as it was, there are some good things that kind of mm -hmm. push from there. There's always flowers in the crack of the concrete, for lack of a better term. And um, 
for us, one of the things that we learned was really the importance. I can't tell you how many strong relationships were formed via Zoom calls mm -hmm. and random phone calls and weekly groups. And even after COVID, there was a long season where we had more people showing up to groups than on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just a testament to the faithfulness of our community to say, no, no, we're the church. We, we come together and celebrate on Sunday, but we're, we don't do church. We are the church. Right. And um, if you're in that place where you're drifting or in that place where you feel disconnected and you might even be close to a community but not fully engaged, I would challenge you to take the fall to say, no, no, we're going to connect. We're going to tie off. We're going to do the work that's necessary to have those hard conversations, to enjoy community, to risk loving, even if it means we might lose. And, um, and and try your hardest to find those people who you can do life with. Yeah, yeah, so find your people. And um, join us on Sunday. We'll be right back here, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock services in person, where we stream on YouTube at 11 o'clock. See you then. See you then. Mm -hmm.